So today's week three. We're talking about pray first. We're in 21 days of prayer. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me. It says this in verse 16. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Can you say all with me this morning? That was weak. That was better. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what God's will is for you? How many of you say, man, God, what is your will for my life? Here you go. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. You mean that's it, God? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. How about we start there? Come on, somebody. How about we start there? So our rally cry for this whole pray first thing has been to pray first. We, we really want to get the church motivated that everything that we do starts with prayer. Our mornings start with prayer. Before we drive out the driveway, it starts with prayer. Before we make a decision, it starts with prayer. We just want you to get in the habit of praying first, right? Just want you to pray first. Why? Because it's important to pray first. Because the first thing you do says something about you. It says where your priorities are, right? If I wake up in the morning and I go straight to the cereal bowl, my priority is my stomach. Right? If I hit my knees in the, if I hit my feet in the morning on the ground and I say, Jesus, thank you for a good night's sleep. Thank you for watching over and protecting us and keeping us safe. Thank you. Who's my priority? Come on. You can talk in church. It helps me to preach better and shorter. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. <laughs> He'll stay long, though. He ain't scared. So what would it look like if we brought God into every situation of our life? What would it look like for your family if you would put God first in every situation? What would it look like if you've got young kids and you're still in the discipline phase where, where if before you cracked the whip on their seat of higher learning that you actually prayed a little bit? Come on. That's hard to do because you, your blood pressure is up, right? You don't want to talk to God. You want to talk to the back of their backside, right? I'll never forget one time my son had done one of the ultimate things, you know, and, and, and it was time for discipline. And, I, and I'm just going to tell you, I was red. I was, I was mad. I was mad as a horn. I was going to tear him up. He wasn't going to be able to sit down for a day. I got to the, we got to the bathroom, and I had to paddle, and I'm, I'm serious. I was about to give it to him. And good thing I stopped for a second and listened because the Holy Spirit said this. Say, give him grace. <laughs> I wanted to do a timeout. I was like, timeout. You know, if I could kind of like freeze the, the moment. What you mean give him a break? He just did this. He said, give him grace. It's going gonna, it's gonna to do a lot more than that butt whooping is. And I did. And it did. Amen? What would happen if we prayed first? Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, I never pray more than 20 minutes. Pretty good. But I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. <laughs> here's, here's an interesting statistic for you. Only 10% of the people in the church enjoy praying. Wow. 
Is it a wrestle? Yes. To some of us, it is. To me, most of my life, it's been a wrestle to pray. I'll just be honest with you. It's been tough. I've had to discipline myself to pray. You see, anything that you don't naturally like to do requires discipline to do it, right? I naturally don't want to not eat bluebell, right? And come the 31st when it hits the stores, y'all need to pray for me (laughs) continually, right? And I'll be praying for most of you too, (laughs) So let's look at this. I want to make today practical. Luke chapter 18 says this. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show how they should always pray and never give up. If you remember two weeks ago, we went into the how to pray was the message. And if you, if you weren't here, you can always go to our, our, our website and, and download that message and listen to it. It was a good message. We took the Lord's Prayer and we broke it down and we talked about how Jesus instructed his disciples to pray. They caught him praying one day and they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They didn't know how. How many of you know, how many of you would say it's okay to not know how to pray? Right? I mean, sometimes we just don't know how to pray. One of the things we've done for you in this 21 days of prayer, we've given you a prayer book or a prayer guide. And this is just a pray first thing. And this thing will lead you in how to pray. It will teach you the Lord's Prayer so that you can pray the Lord's Prayer. It will teach you how to pray tabernacle prayers. I've never prayed a tabernacle prayer in my life. But it was, it, was, it was just amazing when it teaches you how to pray a tabernacle prayer. Then it teaches you how to pray warfare prayers. You might need those. Just saying. So we, these are available. We've got some at the, at the kiosk on, on your way out if you want to grab one. If you don't have one, I encourage you to use that to pray. So prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Acts 4.13 says this, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Can someone tell if you've been with Jesus? Can somebody tell if you, I want to personalize this thing, when you go to work tomorrow, are, you, are the people, are your coworkers, or are your boss, or the customers that come in and out your door, are they going to be able to tell that you've been with Jesus? Because, you see, the only way for people to know that you've been with Jesus is you actually have to be with Jesus. Anything that you try to fake outside of that is just called religion. Come on. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? Here's here's something you need to write down. If you're not praying, then everything you're doing must be done in the flesh. If you're not praying, what's your motivation? If you're not praying, where's your energy coming from? If you're not praying, you getting this? Not praying is paddling the boat. Praying is throwing up a sail and the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing in your back. You're going to travel the same ground. You're going to hit the same rough ways. But the difference is is you've got a supernatural power driving you and motivating you to go forward instead of your own strength and your own power. Now, some of you came to church this morning just tired and worn out. And I understand that because sometimes we don't pray. Sometimes we're not led by the Spirit. Sometimes we're led by the flesh. 
And when we do things in the flesh, we naturally wear down the flesh. Right? But man, when we pray, it puts the wind in our sails. Remember where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you'll stay connected to me, you'll continue to produce fruit. You'll have life. Prayer is how you stay connected to the vine. Prayer and word is how you stay connected to the vine. You want to stay connected to the vine? You want life? You want energy? You want strength? You want the wind in your sails? You're going to have to pray. The only person stopping you from praying is you. The only way to fail at prayer is to not show up. Right? John 15, 4 says this, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the thing. God's not trying to condemn us to pray. He's not trying to command us to pray. That would be like you forcing your kids to talk to you. That's not fun, right? It's fun when your kids come up and they just start a conversation with you, right? You see, the reality of prayer is is that God wants to spend time communicating with you. He loves you enough that he wants to spend time with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to listen to you. And he wants you to listen to him. Come on, you getting something yet? That's called prayer. It's just communication. We don't want to make it complicated. We want to keep it simple. It's communication. He wants to stay connected. He wants us to stay in the vine. Right? Because he wants us to continue to produce fruit. And he said it. He said, apart from me, you can produce nothing. You can do nothing. So if we're not praying, then we're really not producing anything that's worth tasting. Are you getting this? And I, I, I just thought you'd have been a little more excited about the fact that God wanted to talk to you. I thought you'd been a little bit more excited about the fact that he wanted to listen to you. Now, I don't know if you all went partying last night, but, I mean, you, you seem a little tired. But I'm excited about the fact that God, the creator of the universe, wants to spend time with little old me. Are you with me? I, it just gets me excited. It makes me want to go. It makes me want to get closer to him, right? You see, when you discipline yourself to pray, sooner or later it, it, it quits being a discipline and it becomes a lifestyle. Right? It becomes a lifestyle. I got up Saturday morning. We don't meet here on Saturday mornings at 6 o'clock to pray. I got up at Saturday morning. I went straight to my knees and I just prayed. You know why? Because I missed it. I miss talking to God. I miss communicating with him. I miss just the moment of silence, just listening to him. Is there anybody that misses that every now and then? Bless you. So let me give you some, some, some help to develop a lifestyle of prayer. Number one, you need to have a, a priority of prayer. You need to have the priority of prayer. You see, we all get to determine what our priorities are. And let me give you this on a side note. You've heard me say this before, but I just want to say it again. Here's the top three priorities of your life. Okay, and you need to line yourself back up today with this. Your first priority in life is your relationship with Jesus. That's number one. The most important thing you do every day is communicate 
and stay connected to Jesus. That's your most important relationship in your life is with Jesus. That's your top priority. Your second priority is your spouse if you're married. If you're married, it's your wife or your husband. That's your second most important relationship on the planet. Your third most important relationship on the planet is if you're married and you have kids, or even if you're not married, but if you have kids, that's your children. That's your top three. I don't know where work and ministry and everything else comes, but I know this much. When I take care of number one, number two goes well. When I take care of number one and two, number three goes well. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching. You need to have a priority over your life. You see, you're in control of the priority of your life. You determine where the ship goes. You determine how you live. You determine how close you are to God. You're as close today to God as you want to be. Now, that's just the truth. I can't get you any closer to God. I can encourage you. I can give you scripture. I can challenge you. I've tried beating people across the head. It don't work. Right? But you're as close as you want to be. So, so the first thing we see is the priority of prayer. We need, to, we need to make room for God. We need to make an appointment with God, a, a, a non-negotiable appointment. Some of you are better at making appointments with doctors than you are with God. Mm. Mm. You need to make room for him. You need to have a place for him. Come on, somebody. If you don't schedule God in, the world's going to schedule God out. I'll say it like this. If you don't schedule God in, work will schedule God out. There's something in what you do first that says a lot about you. It says what's important, right? Just like with your tithes and your offerings. If you give the first fruits of your increase, you're saying to God, I trust you before I look at everything else. I trust you before I trust anything else. You see what I'm saying? It says something about you. It says something to God. When your kids listen to you before they listen to their friends, how does that make you feel? You get all ooshy-gushy inside, right? You're like, oh, shit. They listen to me. Maybe your kids are perfect. Let's look at the example of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Let me tell you something about Daniel. Daniel is no different than you are. Daniel was a human just like you are. Daniel had no more power than you have. Daniel was not some supernatural figure of the Bible that had this this just incredible gift of praying. Daniel was a man, just like any of the rest of us. He had some discipline, and he prayed three times a day. He even got arrested for it, got in trouble for it. The law said that you can't pray. He kept on praying. He made a priority. The priority of his life is that I'm going to communicate with God at least three times a day. That was his deal. What's your deal? How often do you want to communicate to God in the daytime? You need to make an appointment with God and you need to keep it. So the second thing we see to, to develop a lifestyle of prayer is the place of prayer. You need to have a place. Here's the, here's the cool thing about having a place. When we moved into our, our house in Crowley, it's a big old house, big house, biggest house we ever lived in. I couldn't find a single place in that house 
to have a quiet time. I struggled for months just for a place. She said, well, pastor, just go sit down in the living room. Can't do that. Too many people walking by. Got teenage kids. They're loud. And you can only tell them to shut up so many times. Right? Too many things. I couldn't find a place. Finally, I had to keep searching. I found a place. And that's my place where I meet with God. Now we're getting ready to move, so I'm going to have to find another place. Right? You follow me? But you need to have a place. It's important. You hear some saints talk about a prayer closet or even a war room. There's actually a movie coming out called War Room. It talks about a woman who prays, and she, she's a consistent prayer. And, and, and so you need a place where you can get quiet and you can get alone. Jesus had to break away early in the morning and get away from everybody else and go to a quiet place. Most scholars believe that quiet place was the, the Garden of Gethsemane where he went to pray. He had a place. You see, when you got a place and you got an appointment, you're heading in the right direction. Come on, somebody. It's something that, I mean, it's one thing to have an appointment but not have no place to go. It's another thing to have an appointment and then to have a place to go, right? So you need a place. It's important to have a place. The third thing we see is the plan of prayer. You need to have a plan. What am I going to pray about? Who am I going to pray for? How long am I going to pray? What time am I going to pray? Simple stuff, y'all. Simple stuff this morning. Just simple, simple, simple. But let me tell you, when you get this, when you take this simple stuff and you put it into action, supernatural things start to happen. You're going to need to learn how to do warfare prayer whenever you start putting some of this stuff into practice. I'm just telling you, because the enemy ain't going to like it because you're getting up and you're praying. Because you're agreeing with heaven. Because you're agreeing with the Father. Are you seeing this? So you see, when you make, a, when you make it a priority, all hell gets nervous. When you get a place, they get real nervous. When you get a plan, they're, they're trying to come up with a strategy. Are you hearing me? You got to get ready. So you need a plan of prayer. Let me tell you how I pray. I, I don't have a, a, just a single system, but a lot of times I get up. Normally when I hit my feet hit the ground in the morning on my way to the bathroom, I pray, Lord, thank you for a good night's rest. You know why I thank him for a good night's rest? Because I want another good night's rest the next night. Lord, thank you for protecting me. Because one of my fears used to be that somebody would break in when I, when I was sleeping because I was such a hard sleeper. And he delivered me from that fear, but I give him thanks for protecting us. And nobody came and stole my blower <laughs> off my lawnmower trailer while I was sleeping. They did it in the daylight. You follow me? But I start to give him thanks. Lord, thank you that the kids slept all night. Come on, now parents with young kids, there's a secret. There's a secret right there. You need to lay hands on them babies every night and pray peace and rest over them. We did that. We've been doing that for 16 years now. There's one thing we value at our house. That's sleep. I'm saying I got the gift of sleep. And I use it. Right? So I get up and on my way to the bathroom, I'm just giving thanks to God. Just, God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the day. Thank you for a new opportunity today, Lord. Thank you that I'm alive. I go, <sighs> thank you that I woke up. Thank you that I can still breathe, right? So then I take care of business in the bathroom, and then I go straight to the coffee, right? Because God wants you to be awake. <laughs> can I get a witness? God don't like you falling asleep in prayer, <laughs> right? 
It's like your wife falling asleep on you in the bedroom or you falling asleep on her when she's talking. I mean, it's just, it's just not good. It usually has repercussions. So anyway, I get my coffee going and I get my Bible ready and I get my, my journal. I always keep a journal with me. Why? Because if God says something, I want to remember what he said, right? Because I don't have a good memory. So I want to remember what he says. I put a date on it. I put a time on it. I write down what he says. If he sends me to scripture, if he sends me into the word, I write that down and I write down what I got for that day because it's a word. He's given me something for life. You with me? This is an appointment. He takes it serious. You see, because he's, he wants to be with you. So when you make an appointment, you make it a priority and you make it a plan, he's going to show up. God don't call in sick. God doesn't oversleep. He wants to show up. He wants to be there with you. It's important. It's serious. He's coming with something for you. He's not coming to the meeting empty-handed. He's coming with a package. It may be something you need for that day. It may be something that you need to deliver to somebody that day. You follow me? Sometimes I get a word and I write it down and I go, man, that's a good word, God. That just don't apply to my life. He says, just hang on to it. And come 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, I don't know, sometime during the day, there's an opportunity to give that word. Somebody starts sharing. I go, hey, that fits right here. Man, you know what I read this morning? You see what I'm saying? And I spend some time with him. Now, honestly, I used to let my work schedule dictate my prayer schedule. I did. I had my priorities out backwards. But I've had, to, I've had to rearrange some things. You see, if i got to get up early in the morning and be somewhere, so i got a busy day, that means I need to get up a little bit earlier. You see what I'm trying to get at is that it's always in the forefront of your mind. Your meeting with God is a non-negotiable. It's the most important thing. And when it's the most important thing, you make plans around it, not it around your other plans. You're thinking about it when you go to bed. What time am I meeting with God in the morning? Let me check my schedule. You seeing this? Right? Need to have a plan. Luke 11 says this. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And he began to teach him how to pray. Now, this is very practical today. It's a very simple message. It's not a deep spiritual message. I'm not digging into any super deep truths. But it's just because it's practical and just because it's not deep doesn't mean it doesn't apply to your life. And doesn't mean that it's not going to bring you deeper. You see, sometimes it's the small things in life that has the big impact. Too many times we focus on the big things. I got to change the big things. I got to change the big things. No, maybe you just need to tweak the small things. Right? Maybe you just need to tweak something small. Number four, you getting something yet? Now, this one here is pretty powerful. Um, this one will change your entire life. The persons of prayer. How you develop a, a lifestyle of prayers, you got to understand the persons of prayer. I'm talking about God in three persons. I'm talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when you pray, when you communicate with God, you're not just communicating with the Father. You're communicating with the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
One of the things I admire about the Catholic Church is that they pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's so natural to them that it just rolls off of their tongue. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Everything they do, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I need a cheeseburger and fries, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see how it works? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to know that there's persons of prayer. So here's the deal. Your view of God determines how you relate to God. So if you're wrestling with communicating with God, you may need to ask yourself, how do I see God? Do I see God like I see my natural father? You know, one of the things that makes me want to be a better father is that I know that I'm shaping how my kids see their heavenly father by how they see me. <laughs> see, something's got to change, and I ain't there yet, right? I got to change. I got to quit being this, and I got to quit being that, and I need to start being this and start being that. Because why? Because they need to learn how to relate to God through me. I need to give them, give them an example of how to talk to God by how they talk to me. If I keep pushing them off, I ain't got time, I ain't got time, I ain't got time. Well, then how are they going to see God one day? Well, God's never got time for me. Why don't you pray, baby? God just don't have time. Well, how do you know you don't have time? Because my daddy didn't have time. If I'm impatient with them, they'll start to see God as an impatient God. If there's no grace and mercy in our relationship, come on, that's good preaching. If there's no grace and mercy in our relationship, that's, that's going to determine how they see God. You see, that's part of my parenting. That's part of my responsibility with my children is I got to lead them in a direction that they're going to go so that when they get out on their own, they'll continue. I want them to continue. I don't want them to fall on their face. I don't want them to be saying, man, thank God I got away from that old man. Right? I'd rather have to push him out a little bit. Some things are going to have to change. It may be starting with how you see God and how you relate to God. Because remember, you had a daddy too. And I put my money, he wasn't perfect. See, my daddy wasn't there. So for me, I didn't know. So I just felt like I didn't need to pray. I felt like, well, God knows everything I need. I don't need to say anything. I'm being honest. I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to pray. God knows. He'll just, he'll just take care of it. I didn't know how to talk to him. You know, God answered my prayer. He gave me my daddy for about eight months to live with me. And it was one of the best relationships times we've ever had. And it was a moment that I grew the most in my relationship with God is when my daddy moved in with me and we worked together and we spent a lot of time together. I'm just telling you, there's something supernatural between a father, an earthly father, and a heavenly father. It helped me. I'm 38, 39 years old learning how to relate to God from my daddy who wasn't even saved. It determines. You see what I'm saying? And if you're here today and, and, and your image of your earthly father is is messing up your image of your heavenly father, then something needs to change. Because God's not your daddy on earth. 
right? So there's the persons of prayer. Paul ended, ended praying like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is from the message translation. He said, the amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. See, Paul understood there was three persons in the Trinity, three persons in the Godhead. When you're dealing with the heavenlies, you're dealing with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is important. Let's talk about the amazing grace of Jesus. So what's Jesus doing? Jesus is carrying your prayers back and forth to God. Jesus is actually right there next to God, mediating for you. He's talking on your behalf. When God wants to come with wrath and judgment, Jesus is pleading for mercy and grace over you. Come on. It's the amazing grace of Jesus. He's the one that's, that's got your best interests in mind. Not that God doesn't, but he's got your best interests in mind. Are you following me? Jesus is he's talking to the Father for you. He's taking your prayers to God. He said, here we go. This is what Travis said today. You seeing this? It's the amazing grace of Jesus. Hebrews 4, 6, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne room of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus is not a taskmaster who never went down the same road that you've gone down. For 33 years, Jesus lived and experienced everything that we would ever experience, and he can relate. He knows what it feels like. So when you're crying out to Jesus in your weakness and, and crying out for mercy and grace, he understands. He understands. He knows the pain. He knows the sorrow. He knows the broken heart. He knows the destruction. He knows about it. And he's relating to the Father on your behalf. On your behalf. Watch this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You know what that means? That means when you come to Christ in your weakness, when you're being tempted, when you're weak and you're about to fall, and you come to Christ in your weakness, he has grace, and he has power for you. You got to see this. I'm struggling. Let's say I'm struggling with wanting to slap somebody. We'll just keep it real. They got my order wrong at Pizza Hut, and I want to slap somebody. I'm tempted. If I go to Jesus with my weakness, because I'm weak, if I go to him with my weakness and say, Lord, I need some help, you know what he gives me? Grace, and then he gives me power. Power for what? Not power to slap them hard. Power to not slap them and put my gun up. Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? Come on, I'm being silly, but are you getting it? In your weakness, he's made strong. 
His power is perfected in your weakness. So when we come to him in our weakness, he gives us grace and he gives us power. What happens when we don't come to him? Yeah, you slap him. What do you get? When you don't come, what do you get? Nothing. If you don't ever confess your weakness, you don't ever get to receive grace and power. You got to get this. There's a reason why God wants us to communicate with him. It's for our best interest. It's for our own good that we step out and we begin to communicate with him. The extravagant love of the Father. The real tragedy for many people is their earthly father experience is polluting their heavenly father experience. Isn't that true? You know God has the power to break off that? He has the power to break that off of you. Because let me tell you, there's no wound like a father or a mother wound. And most people I know have a father or a mother wound. They have a wound. They're wounded by their parents. And we can all sit here and say, yeah, my parents weren't perfect. Well, you know what? You're not either. And God's fully aware that there's a wound from your parents and that you're wounded. And you know what he's able to do? He's able to break that off of you, and he's able to heal that wound, and he's able to set you free. And he's able to get you going in the right direction. Come on, somebody. He has the power to help you overcome the wound. Right? He has the power to heal you from the wound so that you can come back into relationship with him. You see, at the age of 40, I went into a thing called inner healing for 16 weeks. And I went through this inner healing course. And I realized I I was more wounded than I thought. And I came out of that thing free from those wounds. The scars were healed. I was set free and delivered. And I now have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. My daddy can hurt me again and it won't affect me like it did before. I'm not going to let him determine how I relate to God anymore. Because you see, that says that he has power over me still. He doesn't. Psalms 103 says this, For the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Thank God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. See, that one of the things you discover when you start to pray and start to develop a lifestyle of prayer, you start to discover how much God really loves you. It's called going deeper. It's called getting closer. But if you never develop a lifestyle of prayer, you never really get to see how much God loves you. You never really get to go deeper. You never really get to get closer. Are you seeing this? There's a reason he wants us to pray. And then the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. 
This is what's cool about the Holy Spirit is that when the prayer meeting's over with, the Holy Spirit goes with you. When you get up off your knees and you've been praying and seeking the Father and seeking the kingdom and crying out to heaven, when you get up and you put your work clothes on and you go to work, the Holy Spirit goes with you. It's the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. He is with you always, always. He goes with you, goes with you everywhere you go. What does he do? He comforts you. He convicts you when you need to be convicted. He counsels you, the Bible says. He empowers you. He helps produce fruit in your life. Are you seeing this? The Holy Spirit's right there with you. He's right there with you. He's going with you. It's the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. So my prayer for you this morning is this. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would be with you always. I want him to be with you always. Here's the thing. He wants to be with you always. He's anxious to be with us. That's why the Bible says he's a jealous God. He's jealous when we give our time and our affections to someone else or something else. He's a jealous guy. He wants to be with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to show us his strength. He wants to show us the supernatural things. He wants to teach us how to, how to, how to fight in the supernatural realm and not in the flesh. He doesn't want us to fight against other people that are flesh and blown, blood. He wants to teach us how to fight in the supernatural, spiritual warfare. He wants us to know how to do that. Because we need to do that. We need to do that for our families. We need to do that for our city, for our church. I just can't help but believe if we forget to get up and pray in the mornings that we go to work and we go through life empty-handed. Without the things that we need for that day. It's like your boss giving you instructions to go do a task and he doesn't give you the tools or the directions to do it. Amen? Stand up with me this morning. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Why don't you lift your hands up towards heaven this morning? It's all over across this building. Just lift your hands. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you came in here today. don't know what your plans are. don't know what your spirit life or what your prayer life is like right now. But I think we can settle some things this morning. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to say, you know what, God? I dropped the ball. I've put other things in front of you. I've built my life around my job. I've built my life around my kids. I've built my life around my passions and not around you, Lord. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I don't come to you first. 
sorry, Lord, for not coming first. Would you, would you give me grace? Lord, you see my weakness. Would you give me grace and give me power to come to you first, Lord? Father, I want you to be the priority of my life. I don't know where you're at today, but you need to say something to God, I'm sure. Let's take care of this today. Let's not wait another day. Let's not give the enemy another victory. Let's take ground for the kingdom. Let's develop that lifestyle of prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is sharper than a double-edged sword. I thank you that it's piercing hearts right now. Father, help us to be a church that has a lifestyle of prayer. Help us to be people with a lifestyle of prayer. And Lord, it's not just prayer, but it goes from being just prayer to communication and actually communion, Lord. So we go from a discipline called prayer to actually into a communion with you, Lord, where we get up every morning and the first thing we want to do is be in your presence. The first thing we want to do is hear your voice. The first thing we want to do is see your face. Lord, we want to meet you. We want to dine with you. We want to be with you, Father. I pray that over this church. I pray a hunger, just a hunger, Lord, to be with you, Father. To be with you, first thing, Lord. Father, I pray that when we get up out of that prayer time, we get out of that time of communion and we go to our workplaces and to the marketplaces or wherever we go, Lord, that, that, Father, people would see us and it would be like Moses coming down from the mountain that our faces would glow red. And people would say, look at the glory of the Lord on him or her. That, Father, they would know that we've been with Jesus. They would know that we've been in the presence of Almighty God. They would know that we've, we've got the Holy Spirit with us. That, Father, there would be no denying, no wondering, no curiosity. That, Father, people would see you in us. That, Father, in our prayer times, we would become less and you would become more. And we bless you for that this morning, Lord.